0: This is Purple Radio on demand.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode, an extenuating circumstance episode of Pub Talk, um, the show where four friends normally come together. And talk football over a pint or two. Um, obviously, at the moment, we don't have any football um, because of the COVID-19 coronavirus that has gripped the world and, and and the pandemic, which has ensured that there is no football for the foreseeable future. But we still have Dunny, uh, myself, Gabriel Edis, and Archie Hodgson here. Uh, Mathieu Ryden is just currently working himself out before he gets back to um, to to the UK and to, to France before having been in, in, in Russia. We've all been repatriated now, we're back in uh, our relative home so I'm in, I'm in London and then Danny whereabouts are you now?
2: I'm in Hertfordshire at the minute, and so almost London, not quite. Almost
1: London, quite, not quite. Um, and uh, and Archie you're, you're up in Edinburgh aren't you? I'm in God's country mate. <laughs> Indeed, yeah in God's country. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be talking a lot about the coronavirus, a lot about the implications of the coronavirus as opposed to the actual medical science behind it. But um, in terms of what the effect is on on football economically and sportingly, uh, and then we'll we'll also just branch out into a bit of our lives, considering that apparently, according to popular demand, that's what people are actually interested in. So um, we'll um, we'll just off air. We were talking about what to do regarding the current. season we currently have um a season that's 28-29 match days in 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 the premier league 25 match days in for the bundesliga um and whilst there are a lot of things that seem certain norwich going down liverpool being champions um by munich seeing like they probably will win the title and and paderborn definitely looking like they're going down among a, a myriad of other stories um there's a lot of uncertainty for Champions League positions, title races in Syria, La Liga, uh, and uh, you know relegation in Scotland. Um, so there's a there's a lot that's yet to be, to be decided. And Dunny, um, obviously off air, you were saying that we should call the season null and void. That is one of the options to call it null and void. Um, what do you uh, do you want to elaborate on that? Do you want
2: to? Yeah. So I think the problem is if you look at. All of the different leagues and all of the different countries. Say we focus primarily on Europe; is we don't really know much. Well, I for one don't know much about South America or other continents and other leagues. But if you look at Europe in particular, there are only a couple of specific certainties, if you want, if you, if you will, in um, inverted commas. So you look at Liverpool winning, Dundee winning, potentially Hearts going down. Um, but I think the. Problem that that UEFA face is they're going to have to implement a blanket strategy covering all of the European leagues, and I don't think you can have specific cases whereby, well, actually, Liverpool were really good, or say if you look, just got hearts are going to go down or Norwich like they were going down because the problem is if you relegate teams teams have to be promoted but it, it's they're not always certainties you look at events like playoffs and a championship to the Premier League you never really know how that's going to come out it's not like it's one, two, three, four. because in the playoffs anything happens it's a one-off game um, at Wembley typically which decides you know the final team get thrown right to the Premier League and I think it's un- although it's unfair on teams like Liverpool and Dundee and potentially it would you know, see teams like Hearts and Norwich looking incredibly fortunate um, I don't see how you could justify it given it was mathematically possible for Liverpool to lose every single game and another team to win the Premier League for example to award the title in fact UEFA have come out this afternoon and said that in the event of a season cancellation Liverpool will not be awarded the Premier League title that doesn't mean that the season is null and void but it just means that they're not going to get awarded the title, and even with that, there's an. A- I think there's always been an asterisk net for that title win, which is not something I, had I been a supporter of Liverpool, would want. Because there's always a caveat to a title win, and although it's horrible and unfair and unjust and everything, I just think that's what it is that's the only solution that I can see.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, as as Danny was saying, there um, hearts if they were to relegated as it stands Oh, sorry if, if they were to survive as, as it stands would maybe be a bit fortunate but actually they're only f- four points adrift with eight games to play um, and obviously being relegated from the Premiership in Scotland and not having the, the gate money that the likes sort of Celtic, Aberdeen Hibs, Rangers bring um, their travelling that uh, 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 Oh, yeah. Well, like really? When okay. it's still talking about you
1: it when it's you miss all that Yeah, Archie and uh, the sign the signal went a bit there. Um Oh hello. That's a, a beautiful metallic sound. Um Um Archie you there now.
2: Where did it go down the top?
1: Just from heart's four points from eight eight games. I'll cut it. Arch? Archie? Archie. Oops. Right, that's him. Hey. is he back in now? Done? Well, I
2: can hear you, but I think Gabe's more important, given Gabe's got the recording equipment.
1: Um, yeah, I can't okay. hear. I can't hear Arch at all. Okay, just. Oh, you, you can't hear me. Oh no, I can hear you now. I can hear you. Perfect. Okay, go from Wait. hearts from eight. Point, hey. Four points from eight. Okay. Sorry. Hello. Yep. Hey. Wait, Gabe. Gabe, I can't hear you. Arch. Oh, I can hear him now. Come on, Arch. <laughs> Wait, show what I, I gave, I'm
0: showing to, to Um,
1: I can I can hear you, Arch. If you can, if you can you hear me? Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh, the service is horrific. Um, so
2: we going for say a half with eight games
1: again. Heart, heart, yeah, it would be slightly unfair to, to relegate Hearts with four points from uh, to eight games from safety. Yeah,
0: yeah, I yeah, okay, yeah, because obviously if if Hearts were to be relegated, that would have absolutely dire financial repercussions. Um, I mean, in, in Scotland, if you're in the top flight, you you get huge gate money from the visits of, of Celtic, Rangers, Hibs and Aberdeen and for them to go to the, to the championship it would be absolutely crippling, crippling financially for the club um, so when, when they've still got eight games remaining to to get themselves out of their current plight I think it would just be I mean obviously I'm a Hibs fan but I, I, even I would admit it would be completely unfair to, to relegate them the, the one positive thing that could come out of this situation in Scotland is that it's... it's um encourage a lot more talk about restructuring the, the leagues and I think that's especially due to the case that Dundee United are, are such runaway leaders in the championship and, and it, it looks like not giving them promotion would be incredibly unfair And um, so for, for a long time people have talked about increasing the, the number of teams in the top flight because currently there are only 12 sides and it leads to, to a lot of fixtures becoming pretty repetitive and um, so I, I think out of this scenario, we could actually see uh, the, the league expanding to maybe sixteen teams, which would make it a, a far more interesting product. And I think there's a lot of uh, excitement about that idea in Scotland.
1: Sure, um, I would caveat that with it would lower the quality of the Scottish league in that you then. I completely disagree. You think you think you think it will still be fine because obviously you'll have Dundee who will be up, for example, but then you have second, third and fourth who are quite off the pace and then you'd have to still keep the 12 teams now and And do you not think that you know, Hearts have not been good money for for, Scott, for being a Scottish, premiership, a Scottish Premiership team this year but they would be absolutely fine in your 16 team model, no? Uh, no, no, Gabe, I, I don't think the,
0: the gap between the teams at the bottom of the Premiership and the top of the Championship is, is, difficult, uh, sorry, is, is that big at all. Um, I, I think obviously... Year on year, we're used to seeing teams in England being promoted from the Championship, really struggling to maintain their, their top-flight status. But in Scotland, that's not the case at all. I mean, Livingston—they um, they came up, um, and they're, they're now fifth in, in the division. Um, and Hamilton, when when they came up uh, back in 2014, people thought they would be going straight back down, but they've they stayed here. They're still in the top, flight six years later. So I think. Those, those top teams in, in the Championship at the moment, I mean, if you were to, to take the top four, uh, they're all clubs that I think would add a lot to to league, especially the likes of Dundee and Dundee United, who have big, big, big fan bases um, from a Scottish point of view. And uh, I
1: I really think that, that the quality would, would be maintained. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Dunny, going back to Dunny's point about, um, about the whole idea of nulling and voiding seasons and, and this, I mean, you have a massive issue in terms of broadcasting rights. In terms of um, what would you then do about the rest of the season, uh, the pay packages that have invariably been spent by clubs that they've been given from uh, from from the TV deals of games that won't won't have ever happened. Um, you then have the situation whereby what do you do for the Champions League next year? Um, Liverpool. I mean, for, it's one of these things, Danny, um, where it's for the first time and Archie's mentioned it there a couple of times about how it'd be unfair to relegate hearts. We've never really spoken about fairness in sport um, and, and, and and football because you kind of just have kind of taken the rough with, rough with the smooth, you know, even if Man City have bought their way to titles or, you know, Barcelona have, uh, you know, manufactured great teams from uh, hoarding the best talent in, in, in Catalonia. Um, that doesn't, I mean it doesn't it still has never been seen as a as a question of fairness, but now we're in, in un- uncharted territory in the sense of we we're very much thinking about what is the what's the right thing to do. What what I mean it would not does not feel right to relegate teams like Aston Villa who've got a game to play and could be out of relegation zone and, and it doesn't feel right to 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 relegate um you know, the teams. I mean Espanyol, I mean they've been horrific this year but they they still in the shout with, with getting out of it um, Werder Bremen still could get out Fortuna Dusseldorf they're in and, uh, in and around it but they could go down could go up but to just take the league as it stands or to null and void it I mean surely what would the, the financial implications in broadcasting terms and, and, and just for uh, sporting terms are huge
2: yeah well I think there's potentially huge ramifications uh, I've had a little think about it and broadcasting fees that have been paid by your bt sports or your Bay sports or you know you, whichever broadcaster it is that is you know showing the games i think that will potentially just be docked if you will future seasons so over the next five to ten potentially seasons i think that the price they pay for the honor of presenting the games will just be lessened um because as it stands, I think, well, I'm not 100% sure on the intricacies of how the payment process goes, but I can't imagine it's, um, it's divvied up into, say, quarters. I imagine it's just a one-up front, uh, one front payment uh, for the full amount. So I imagine over the next coming years, they're going to have to just scale back that aspect. Because I think also, again, going back to the fair versus unfair, I think it would be unfair to expect football clubs to pay back money that they've been given because again it's not in their control. This is not a situation that has come about due to fiscal policy or anything like that. It's something that's beyond everyone's control but do you um, th- in terms of the football and the implications, the ramifications that, that it has. So I think it will be a longer term policy of just they'll B T Bay in Sky or what have you will just pay a smaller amount over the coming seasons. Um, because they missed out on on potentially 10 15 or more games um, of the 1920
1: season do you do you think and archie you can jump in on this um speaking about the whole idea of um of fiscal policy and how clubs will not have budgeted for instances like this do you think this will now inculcate an environment in football whereby you don't get clubs? Spending irresponsibly and splurging because it just you know, and rather keeping a lot of money and making sure that they are that running a good PNG and good profit, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and and get a profit and loss or a P and L, um, and making sure that they are a sound um, company as well as as well as just a, a footballing industry that just pumps out money and churns money through. But
0: I don't think that's just true of of football clubs I think that's that's true of businesses as a whole because we're seeing as a result of of this crisis um, um, businesses across the country across the globe in fact have been thrown into absolute financial turmoil so I think going forward we are going to see um, uh, obviously we're talking about football clubs I think we are going to see football clubs have to Really consider their their cash reserves and the way in which they, they run their finances, because obviously this this is such an unprecedented uh, situation. But it, it just goes to show that you never know what's around the corner, and and you have to have cash reserves in place in, in order to to continue to pay staff, in order to continue to pay bills in in such um, unprecedented circumstances. So yes, I think I think football in the last decade or so has had a a real issue um with financial mismanagement we've seen so many clubs the likes of rangers blackpool just name two off the top of my head who have um nearly gone uh, into oblivion because of their financial mismanagement so i I think hopefully if, if this if this crisis can can have any positives that could be one of them
1: yeah no for sure um it's 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 troubling times financially, as you say, and it, and it really is. I mean, it's one of those things where we really won't know how clubs will end up at the end. I mean, obviously, there's a big 50 million push for um for, uh, English Premier uh, English Football League clubs now to to have a 50 million pound relief fund um from the from the league um to combat the fact that a lot of clubs will struggle financially in the coming weeks and months. Because they have budgeted for match days, ticket sales. As you, you know, in Scotland, Scotland is so dependent on on, on ticket sales and ticket gates.
0: Gabe, let's make no bones about this. With the, the state of the situation now, so many clubs in Scotland are in, in risk of, of going under. I think today the the SFA, the the, Sc- uh, the Scottish Football Association, have announced a one point five million pound release uh, relief package. Uh, to be made available to clubs but that's simply not enough um, and I think that the SFA are pretty cash trapped themselves they don't have the the money and the financial resources of, of other bigger leagues around Europe and so they're, they're doing their best but it's clear that that's still not going to be enough I think what you really need in this situation is, is compassion um, we, we see in, in football all the time it can be dictated by greed whether that's the clubs themselves or agents, players and in this, this current situation, what we really need is compassion. From the likes of, of UEFA, who you were saying off-air, uh, generated £4 billion in revenues last year. And I think it's about time that, that they invested that into into the clubs which, which have um, provided them with those revenues. Because if not, you're going to see clubs all across Europe uh, going into bankruptcy. And in, in the not-too-distant future, uh, UEFA won't have any competitions to run because a lot of the, the clubs uh, a lot of the, the footballing authorities around Europe are, are no longer going to exist so rather than asking for for compensation for the the Euros being cancelled uh, in this time they need to show some real leadership and real support to, to the clubs which are, are the lifeblood of their organisation
1: yeah I totally agree um, it's it's hard Danny any thoughts on that?
2: what do you think if you look in the league's some compassion being shown. If you look at the Chelsea in Abramovich, he's opened up his hotel to not the football community, just the wider community. Uh, Gary Neville's done the same at his hotel, um, letting NHS workers in particular stay there free of charge because obviously there's huge ramifications from, from that side of things. But I think as Archie alluded to, or basically stated, but, um, with the UEFA comment, but I think not just UEFA, I think you look at the bigger club um, of every country or the richer clubs, not necessarily the bigger clubs. But they have, I think, a responsibility to help grassroots football and teams in lower divisions who, as Archie said specifically um, with regards to Scottish football, um, rely every week on ticket sales, gate sales, or and things like, you know, people buying um, alcohol at the bars or, you know, your pork pies at halftime. And although you know, they, they sometimes seem to make like quite trivial purchases, come the end of the season when clubs come back to look at their budget and see whether they're over and above, you know, in the red or not, these little trivial purchases actually make a massive difference and do determine whether or not non-footballing staff or related staff get laid off and things like that. And that's the potential ramifications that won't necessarily be be addressed, or highlighted... Um, by the media, because everyone's so focused on the big teams or the players themselves. But obviously, if you look at the inverses of a football club, any club really, they are businesses, and businesses require teams of lawyers. You know, they require chefs and all of these sort of things. You know, they need people to coordinate events, plan things, and these are the people that are at, at most, you know, at, at most risk because of the um, well, the postponement or potential cancellation of the season, and they and and they're. Um, they're the people whose lives or livelihoods, I should say, are going through be most at risk. And I think a lot of clubs, particularly the biggest clubs, um, have the possibility, uh, you know, have the ability to um, help them out. And I mentioned off there as well. If you look at someone like Meza who's on £360,000, pounds a week, um, and obviously he's just one example, but throughout, you know, particularly European football, there's players on enormous sums of money and if they halved or even just quartered their weekly wages and then latered them to staff or you know other clubs further down the league I think without any hint of problem without having to go for outside help without even having to go you know to your wafers pool of money you'd be able to solve the problem like in football just because of the excessive amount that these players are being paid so exactly. it's a very quick and easy solution but as Archie uh, tapped on it just requires a bit of compassion which is often easier said than done because there are so many different people involved in football that potentially could show greed as Archie mentioned, like those agents or players themselves or, you know, what have you.
1: Yeah, it's very hard. And also I guess um it's 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 very hard to to compare in terms of what, you know, people on the breadline are going through. But these footballers, despite the fact that they are extraordinarily wealthy, will also see it from the perspective of they have budgeted in their means for for whatever they they have be it their mortgages even if they are 20 times that of the normal average human being 100 times that of that average human being um they are still going to have the mortgage to pay in relation to their to their wage they're still going to have bills etc etc and uh, and it obviously has it has massive ramifications across across the board irrespective of how wealthy you are but you do think that the top top percent should really make way and sort of, I mean, to, to give an example, I mean, Bochum in the second division of German football stand to lose €500,000 Euros for every game that isn't played. Um, that's not dissimilar to what most of the Zweiter Bundesliga, most of the second division clubs will get, will have in terms of su- suffering severe losses. As, as Archie said, a lot of Scottish clubs will go under, a lot of German uh, clubs will go under particularly with the idea of fifty plus one rule, where you have the fans being the majority owner. If the fans themselves aren't able to support themselves, and they ha- they're hardly going to be able to support a football club. So it's um, you really think that the big conglomerates, the big cub, uh, big clubs like Bayern Munich, even though they are fifty plus one owned, they still have inordinate amount of money in comparison to the rest of it. Bor- Borussia Dortmund as well. um, You'd hope that they would be able to funnel some money into the lower. The smaller clubs down down the leagues. Um, looking at Germany, I actually think rather speaking of Germany, um, Archie touched on the Scottish League becoming a 16 league team, uh, 16 league uh, 16 team league um, in the coming years uh, as a result of this. Um, the Bundesliga floated the idea of having a 22 league Bundesliga next year, with the first four teams from the zweite Bundesliga, the second division, going up. Uh, that's because third and fourth is pretty close uh, and it would be fair to do a third, the third place is normally a promotion playoff place but it wouldn't be fair to have a promotion playoff with a team that are third bottom because, you know, they could be out of that position. Um, It's really, really rare for the Bundesliga to suggest this kind of thing because they're they're staunchly in favour of having an 18-team league. league. I mean, I'm never going to be able to say that. Um, And... um, so uh, it, do we do we envisage a situation whereby the Premier League will have a 22 uh team league la liga will have people come up and and, and relegate it? i mean for me personally the only way i see it uh, see it concluding is is this season is concluded be it at the end of this calendar year be it at the start of 2021 um i just think that we have to finish the season no matter what um Obviously, Danny, you think you think null and void is the best way to go about it, Arch. What do you What do you think on that?
0: Yeah, well, I was I was just talking from um, a, a Scottish perspective. Obviously, uh, I, I don't I don't think it's the right thing for for all leagues to be to be changing their, their structure. It was just there's an argument that has been put forward in, in in recent in the latest days as the the crisis has unraveled. Just because it's been it's been an idea that, that's been touted for a number of years already, and people thought that that this could be a, a good opportunity to put that into effect. So I think in Scotland, um, creating a, a larger league um, would well, I think first, of all, first and foremost, it, it would it would make uh, the, the league more interesting to to spectators. Um, but obviously, in, in this situation, it would. Negate a lot of potential um, unfairness um, with the likes of St. Dun's United missing out on, on promotion. Um, but uh, to, to be honest with you, I, I am of the opinion, like Dunny, that you can't award titles, you can't award relegations when mathematically those standings can change. I know it's it's very it, it, it's, it's a very hot topic in Scotland because Celtic. Um, Represented um, in, in press conferences by the the chief executive Peter Law and, and manager Neil Lennon, they've said that if the league um, is is to finish now, the the title must be awarded to Celtic. Whereas Rangers have come out uh, with a statement yesterday, and unsurprisingly have completely disagreed with that view. Uh, but I think obviously if, if you've got a red, uh, if you've got a a green hat on or a blue hat on, you're gonna you're gonna. Uh, Take uh, either side of that argument, but I think for, for me, you can't award the title when the season's not been completed. I think at the start of the season you set out to play 38 games, and unless those 38 games are completed, no no titles can be awarded. That is my opinion, and I know, I know there's no way of, of pleasing all people. And I, I think perhaps you would need a vote from from the the member clubs of, of the league to to come to a conclusion. But yeah, my, my opinion is that that the league should be declared null and void.
1: Would you would you favour a situation? and I was listening to Roddy Forsyth talk about this, of where a wartime, uh, what they did in wartime was um, they asterisked uh, Celtics as title, so it wouldn't count as one of the nine consecutive league titles. Um, but then next year you'd be able to go ahead and um, and have and, and if Celtic were to win. Um, the title next year then that would count as a ninth consecutive league title and then they'd go ahead and, and uh, i mean what the, the the caveat to that is that rangers then get an extra year to to stop that the, the major number 10 the issue is really is if this was the Cel- if this was celtic's fourth title in a row it wouldn't make a major difference i mean i don't think it would it would massively affect the scottish landscape but it, because it's so close to nine which is so close to ten um which obviously would break the Rangers record and, and, and be enormous for Celtic um, it becomes such a massive point a political element of uh, in Scottish football
0: Well, I know Gabe but I, I can guarantee you one thing if this coronavirus had broken out um, just um, be- before the turn of the year when Rangers were at the top of the table would Celtic have been happy for it to finish there? Absolutely not so I think you, you need to you need to have a, a sense of fairness. I think even the most ardent Celtic supporters need to realise that that mathematically that the league is not one, and and therefore you can't you can't give them the title. As for the question of an asterisk, I I think it's the same as calling the season null and void because if it's not part of the, of the nine in a row, it really has little meaning at all.
1: Sure, um, my my thinking has been. Um, And um, because, obviously, in 2022, the Qatar World Cup will be staged in November, this is almost, in a way, a great opportunity for us to realign our footballing calendar. Um, For example, if we do not have football for a a number of months and, say, we can only get back into football in October time, September, um, should we not then, Dunny... um, maybe say let's finish out the rest of the league's games this season finish out and then have a two month break say of december and january use that to be our the the what was the summer transfer window but it'd be the winter transfer window and then start the season again in february and have the 2021 season be february to october have the break november december half november december january have and then have the 2022 season of february to october and then have the 2022 Qatar World Cup. Would there be any reason, Would you, could you see any, any opposition in, in that maybe being the case?
2: Um, there's a few potential hiccups I could see arising from that situation. I think England, or the English League I should say, has always been um, bombarded with accusations that they need a winter break. And I think what you're potentially suggesting just leads to potentially more problems that the lack of respite that players in the Premier League are uh, subject to mm. and I think as, as an ardent English fan um, I'd love to think that we'd be going in to the next World Cup not to mention that the Euros have been postponed next year as well so that's another thing you need to schedule in mm. to your potential plan of when things are going to be played and the problem is we joke and we say "Oh, these players are on Extortion of sums of money which of course they are but you can't also expect them to play week in week out any you know anyone that plays even your Sunday league your grassroots level of football appreciates that a full 19 minutes does take it out of you you certainly anyone. appreciate that don't you Dunny <laughs> you certainly appreciate that after last week I do appreciate what happened um, last week I, I made my return debut for the F. T. nice
1: nice and how'd you yeah. get on
2: uh, we lost the game. Some would suggest it was because I tried to back-heel the
1: ball. It Some the would. Goal. Oh, really? But um,
2: wow. I did also get two assists. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Swings it does, and roundabouts.
1: definitely. But it's possibly my fault, which I have uh, acknowledged to the team. That's <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just you know, slide past that
2: particular problem. But um, what I was going to say is... I, I, as an English fan, as I'm sure every other English fan out there, or Spanish or Scotland, if they ever represented their team at the Euros or the World Cup, would try the life pass out there. What was that? <laughs> would <laughs> want their team to uh, to go into the competition as fresh as possible. And I think the problem with the suggestion, with with your proposal game, is that they then don't have the time to recover, which is so important in playing your best. Not only that, but also just avoiding injury. And we see, and we've had, you, know, you only have to look at the last, it, I'd say to take away 2018, but the previous three or four major competitions, we've had just unbelievably large amounts of injuries, whether those are players that didn't make it out of there or players that within a game or two of the group stages, their tournament was over because of hamstring injuries or ankle or, or, or what have you. So I think I'd rather, you know, null and void this season, start again. Because I think next season we going to have to take some more pre-planning because we hadn't anticipated having the Euros next. summer. couple that with then the fatigue that's going to have to arise as a result of the Qatar World Cup. I'd like to think that players from all countries, but particularly the Premier League, who already suffer from the winter burnout due to the lack of a a winter break. I think they need that break, and I don't think it's fair on them to expect them to play full. 50 weeks in a row because I just think it's not sustainable and as a result of that the quality is going to drop they're going to get injured and that just leads to other problems down the line.
0: I, I completely agree with you Danny. I think we, we've seen season after season the intensity of the the top level in, in, in Europe just seems to be raising up a notch all, all of the time and the players simply cannot cope with the, the the physical demands of playing week in, week out for for almost what it seems to be an entire year, and they they really do need to to have proper breaks uh, in order to, to recover because otherwise these players are just going to pick up injuries, uh, which can end up with with careers ending prematurely. And I think this is something that that football is starting to take a lot more seriously, but probably more still needs to be done.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I get that. I mean, for me, I see it as um, we already play August to May, and then we have June, July, off, and then it's it's back into things. So, if we're going to have to restructure things in terms of the World Cup, is inevit- Was always going to be a thorn in our side as to how to to negotiate a November winter World Cup into the schedule. Um, let's try and use the this break to our advantage in terms of restructuring the league somewhat i guess the other option that is is that if we played for me i mean i just think it's massively important that we have complete seasons in whichever way it is so for example if the 2021 season has to be a 19 game season and we only play you only play the team at home or sorry not at home once rather on the one one way not either home or away and and not um and and not the return leg um to accommodate for the fact that we've missed some months here, then uh, and fit the and fit the second half of this season into what would have been the first half of the of next season. I think that's far. Do you,
0: think, do you not think in? Sorry to to cut in, but do you not think in that scenario if, if there was a league played of 19 games, would that not get considered in years to come as a bit of a an asterisk next to the the title winner?
1: I think I think maybe, but then also at the same time. Um, this is a, these are extenuating circumstances these are times where we have to kind of adapt, there's no way that we can expect I mean, obviously the, the guidelines are that we have the games that should be finished by June the 30th, that we should be able to play by April the 2nd, 3rd I mean it's just a stopgap, there's no way there's going to be football for the entirety of April or I don't even think May, I think we're not going to see football for a good few months And, and, and I
2: completely agree Mm, but and I don't I, think you should, why would you asterisk if you, could, if you could asterisk one season why would you risk asterisking two or three
1: I think yeah. we're just too far into this season I mean we're near we're two thirds of the way through I think it would be unbelievably unfair to the sides like Leeds who have spent 15 years building for this where they've bought, where they factored in Marcel like to... <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> they do it every year pardon they
0: it every year that's the they do it
1: every year they next season <laughs> I think that, that's
0: that's the bottom line game unfortunately Whatever decision is made, you're gonna you're gonna have some very unhappy clubs because I mean obviously see if you, you deny you deny um, Leeds promotion, they're gonna be unhappy. But then at the same time, if you promoted Leeds and, and relegated clubs that still have a, a chance of surviving, they're gonna be very unhappy, and there are gonna be huge financial repercussions either way. So you, you really can't please everyone.
1: But do you, do you then go um do you then go and give Norwich City for example um a parachute payment? That they then, or, or not the parachute payment, but rather 120 million or whatever for what you, which you, which is what you get for for participating in the in the competition. Do you get? Do you give them yeah, that at it, the it end of this? Of,
0: yeah, but but is it actually a question of sporting integrity? How can you relegate a club when when mathematically they have still got a chance of surviving?
1: All right, no, I agree. I agree. I just think that we should try and even if we even if they have to be played next year or or the end of this year, the end of this calendar year. I just think that we should try and finish the games because I think it's a lot easier for us to ruin not not say ruin University Commons, I just think it's a lot easier for us to to have a have a have difficulties with fi- factoring in next season as opposed to sorting out this season considering there have been so many storylines, so many different things that have happened this year, so many different permutations. I mean, I, I. mean, there is a whole other element of contracts that we've not discussed in terms of yeah. what do we do with well, players that have contracts. You, you took the, you took the out. Yeah. Like honestly, you took the words out of my mouth
0: because you're talking about completing the, the season at uh, a later date. But what, what if that later date ends up being in July or August? Um, obviously contracts are, are up. Um, first of June in? Thirtieth of
1: June,
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if that's the case by the time you get to, to July or August or whenever you complete the remaining games you, you could have completely different squads and, and where's the sporting integrity there if you've played the majority of the season with one, with one squad and then it's it's it could be uh, a case of wholesale changes for the remaining games I just don't think that's fair at all I don't think you're going to be able to complete this season whilst maintaining sporting integrity because of that reason so I would call it the season null and void and then try and start afresh next year because I think if, if you try and complete this one and then end up having a half season next year then as Danny said that's two seasons that would have asterisks next to them as opposed to just the one but then, but also it would affect
2: um, the transfer window would you have a transfer window open over two seasons how does that work the implications You can even then not represent your new team if you've say for example gone from uh, like Arsenal to Everton or whatever it may be the implication that that has I think that's why you need to draw you know on a very unfortunate and potentially unfair line under the season yeah and just the transfer window starts when it always has ends when it always has assuming by this point we're back and functioning um, and then just go from there because I just I think the idea that for example you're going to only play half the games next season there's such a massive advantage to playing home at home for, for so many teams the crowd you know play such an, a huge important role and then also the economic ramifications of that so if you were only going to do like lucky dip for who's home who's away that would then also have knock on economic impacts later down the line as well as being viewed as unfair so I don't I don't think you can I think it would be unfair to impact more seasons
1: I get that and I yeah, it, I, I just I don't th- so no.
0: I, I don't think if a club won a league title after 19 games that, that it would <coughs>
1: Carry the same weight as um, a regular league season would. Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I, yeah, I understand that. I just think I find it really hard to reconcile um, with this. And then, I mean, there is the question, of course. And uh, I mean, Danny, by all means, uh, go for this one. What, what do you think um, we should do about the Champions League? Because I mean, I'm a Spurs fan and i think it's the easiest the easiest i know we talk about european football and, and tries to avoid the premier league but it's it's invariably impossible given the fact that, it, that we are so into you know interlinked with with being with the english premier league here and here and being all in the uk um, the i mean the only the only way we could really sort out the champions league if we called the season completely null and void is to go for next year and use the coefficient and the play, the teams with the four best Teams with the four best coefficients go to the Champions League, but then Spurs, who are eighth now, go into the Champions League, and I, I don't, that doesn't sit comfortably with me as a Spurs fan. I don't feel that that's right for us to be in the Champions League when we've been, frankly, piss poor this year. I mean, how would you then go about sorting out Champions League, Europa League, um, just a whole host of competitions which have financial massive implications for clubs like, for example, Leicester, um, clubs like Atalanta. Which who Atalanta will not be getting into the 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 top four coefficient. Napoli will get in the in, in, into the Champions League next year when they've been horrific this year. Um, is that is that right? Is that I mean, do you ha- do you have Espanyol who have the chance to be a Europa League team next year who are currently bottom of the league at the moment? Do how how, how do we square that one?
2: Well, I think potentially the way to reconcile the problems of null and void in this season is awarding European places as they always have been yeah. so the current top four in the Premier League so Liverpool and and so and so forth would get uh, up until fourth would get Champions League and then fifth would go you know and so on and so forth and although I agree that's not perfect I think it's decidedly better than the coefficient model whereby you do have teams like Espanyol who not only arguably would get incredibly lucky by not being um, relegated and obviously the economic uh, prosperity that remaining in the top of the division brings, but then to you know add that, add to that by allowing them or rewarding them by being in Europe and the broadcasting rights and the money that that brings in as well as just the acclaim you know the potential for for more um, fans for a greater number of fans and, and you know the returns that that could potentially bring. I think that's nonsense. I think the only thing to do is award champions League in Europe in places.
0: As we do have done with the league as it currently stands. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think to go down a coefficient route would just it would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. I, obviously, as Donny said, it's not perfect, but it's the the best it's the, the best way of dealing with this unprecedented situation. And um, because I think, yeah, obviously you would you would go about. Um, you know, you'd have projections of how the league would finish based on current points averages because obviously, in in some of the leagues, certain teams will have played more games the, than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you would you would take the average points um, from the games played so far and, and have projections and and then uh, award the Europe based on that. Um, but obviously, it's not perfect. But at the same time it's not affecting which league a club is going to be playing in next season it's also not going to affect you're not going to have titles involved with asterisks so I think it really is the only the only um, the only kind of sensible solution to to this problem
1: yeah I mean it's just one of those problems where I mean obviously we've never even seen it in our lifetimes I don't think anyone has seen it in their lifetime it's 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 so unbelievably complicated and, and as you say Arch and done. I mean whatever way we look at it someone's going to lose out and it's so hard to reconcile with that fact when we value sport in the fact that after 38 games after 34 games you have a winner you have a loser because they've been the best over that period of time and yeah. to have that not with have the finality of that not being the case is he potentially or Really, possible, you know, probably not being the case this year. I mean, uh, just it—it it, it really rocks your kind of sporting kind of core. And certainly for me, anyway. My, I have, I have two, know, I have well, two. But,
0: but, get, on, in terms of the the European coefficient, like in in an average season, that would have absolutely no bearing on who plays in next season's
1: European competitions. I I don't agree with the European coefficient at all. I just think that that might be the only way that, if you call a season null and void, in my mind, if you're calling it null and void, you are literally scrubbing it from the record books. So unless there's a goodwill agreement whereby teams say, the four teams that are currently top should be in the Champions League, and then also you have the other caveat of well, Man City. Are, well, are they? They're in the midst of an appeal, which I don't even know if that's happening right now. I mean, does that get, then go to fifth? I mean, do Wolves or Man United get fifth, or how, how? How does that square? I mean, legal battles will probably ensue. So I mean, it's 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 just very. I just find it. It's just very complicated. Um, I mean, as, as yeah, but as I think that that's a far more
0: satisfactory outcome than. And relying on the European coefficient, because in no season would that would they have any bearing on on the Champions League or Europa League qualification. Because as you said, if you went by the if you went by the uh, the European coefficient, you'd have Espanol who are currently propping up the Liga in in next season's Europa League, and, and that's just nonsensical.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I have two questions really um, that kind of I, I'll. You know what? I'll I'll leave it to the floor to to to, to see who, who who wants to take them. My first question is: um, Will the fact that um, the the fact that we don't have a lot of I mean, obviously there is now no football for a lot of time. Not only on the pitch for the pros, but also in the academy, you won't have a lot of kids training. La Masia was being closed down for now three and a half weeks. Um, do you think that we will have a dearth of youth talent as a result of this period of time because you 've now got six seven, eight months potentially where players are not being coached they 're not being trained up you have you're missing vital time for kids at the age of about twelve thirteen fourteen where this is their real tactical growth period of time the time where you know in eight months' time they will be completely different physical Specimens to what they would have been beforehand, so they they are and they are not going to be receiving the same coaching, the same footballing technical skills um, that they would have done had, had this not happened. Do you think that will have repercussions in seven, eight years? Do you think the quality of football will be will worsen? Um, Danny, go for it first. Yeah, I, I, or Archie, I, go. I, I think that's a really valid question. Let's go. Oh, sorry. I, I think that's
0: a really valid question, Gabe. Um, I. Oh, I think everyone, when they talked about this crisis, they've they've called it unprecedented, or another in, in other cases they've said it's the worst health um, pand- pandemic since the the Spanish flu after the the First World War. So I've I've actually looked into the the Spanish flu quite a lot in in recent in recent days, just um, you know re- researching it. And one of the the big the, the the lasting consequences of the Spanish flu was a real effect in in academic attainment of of the the general the, or the, the generation who were uh, going through their their school education during that that period because of the, the lack of, of schooling and, and education they they really felt the benefit uh, so they, they really felt the, the effects of that um, going forward in their, their adult life and I think we can expect a, a similar situation in in the sporting sphere obviously it depends how long um, the, uh, the the academies for example are out of action but if we get a situation where academies are, are out of action for say um, six months I think that's akin to losing six months of, of development um, so I, I think it, it's, it's not unreasonable to expect that the, the current generation of academy players will struggle to, to reach the same levels that, that they would have done had this coronavirus um, not not happened? Um, I, I'll play devil's advocate for a little bit. Um, and I you if you look you at, at Hong <laughs> Kong or
2: China or Singapore who are coming towards the end of their enforced two-week quarantine, everything's starting to open up again. So restaurants are open, schools are open, um, people are going back to university and as such. So I think that although it could have that effect, I'd like to think a little bit more positively and think that certain areas, not necessarily public areas, but if you know everyone within an academy, both the staff as well as the football personnel, are not carrying the coronavirus, I see no reason why you wouldn't be able to reopen them up, at which point, although they're going to suffer from potentially up to two months without... Being, you know formally trained mm-hmm. I don't think it potentially will be as dramatic as it as it could have been as it was hypothesized by Archie You're know, no, no, I I'm, say I'm, I'm, is I'm, the professionalism that the, 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 the players have these days from the ages of you know nine sometimes 10 11 12 they're all on specific programs both fitness and football both technical and physical as well as often mental so I think that aspect of the game has come up, come on leaps and bounds in the last five, ten years. And so, although that they won't progress as to the level they could have, I think if you compare them to how players were five years ago, they're materially more professional, more athletic, because of the background that they've had since those younger ages.
0: Yeah, but Danny, I, I completely agree with you. All I'm saying is, at the moment, we don't know how long it's going to last. That's, yeah, I agree and with that. If it, if it's to last for... For six months or even more than that, that's when I think you will sh- start to see, um, you, you will start to see drop dropping, um, like a, a dropping in, in the standard. But as, as uh, you were saying, if it's just two months, I think yes, players can can do training in their their own time and and will be able to maintain things like level of fitness. But you, you talk about when a player comes from a long-term injury, they they can keep the fitness up, but there's a, a huge difference between. Physical fitness and and what you would describe as match fitness or match sharpness, yeah, and, and that's something that is really impossible to replicate. But, so I, I think I, I'm not talking about kind of a, a one month or a two month delay. I'm, yeah, just, yeah. I'm, hey, I'm man, thinking man. if if it's if, if this uh, cancellation of, of football and, and training um, is is something that we're going to see for a really prolonged period of time, over six months, that's yeah. when you. Start to, to see um, the the consequences of it. I Completely, but I think if you then look at the, uh, but then
2: I think as you suggested, with or as you you know mentioned with the injuries, if the if the, because this is going to be irrespective of whether you're twelve or whether you're you know lean or messy, um, in terms of the, the longevity of this hiatus from football, if the absolute level of everyone decreases and suffers the same amount, whether it be six, seven, eight months, then surely it doesn't matter. Because everyone's absolute level is struggling to the same amount, mm-hmm. and although players who played, you know, who are fully developed, both like physically, for example, may not suffer as much because they built up that muscle memory or just yeah. that sort of intelligence. But the absolute level is still going to, well, it will decrease, meaning that the relative level, like difference in levels, remains the same. But that wasn't. I the question. don't think it will necessarily be like you'll be able to see that, like, or perceive the
0: difference. But, but, but that that wasn't the question because, uh, of course, it, it's um, the, the decrease will be the same across the board. The, the question was, will there be a decrease? And, and I think if it's for a sustained period of time, then yes, there will be.
1: I think um, I hope obviously that Dunny is right in the sense of um, <laughs> that it won't it won't take a long time, and that oh, actually. So, so do
0: I. So But do I but,
1: but I, but I, can, I am concerned that that we have not been as effective in Europe in containing this to the to the degree of of china we've not there is the way in which the chinese have managed to contain it has been far more effective and far quicker but we
0: can't do what the chinese can do
1: yeah exactly. Just
0: a different society. It, they're able to implement draconian measures a lot a lot more easily due to as dunny suggested the political setup that they have there exactly. but i think they, they've shown that what is really required is the implementation of draconian measures if you are to to get um, a real hold of this disease. But I mean, at, like, at the end of the day, none of us are, are medical experts. We have to leave the approach to to the people you know the, who do you know, the know stuff they're talking about. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, as only as suggested, the, the Chinese model proves that. That you can deal with this in a, a relatively short period of time, and, and hopefully we, we're able to see a different yeah. situation. And not only football will return, but the whole country will get back to, to some sort of semblance sort of normality.
1: You do, just, you do just worry that because I mean, in uh, Italy, have now been in lockdown for what are you saying, like a, a week or maybe more, and the rate and the rate of deaths just shot up today. Like I think it was about seven hundred people. More now, so it's that the death toll is now 3,000 people in Italy, which is just so you have to hope that it does slow down. Um, um, but you, I guess, as you say, we're not medical experts, so so we're, we're just here to talk about football. Um, but, um, but it, but we, it, I mean, it's all, it's all a very, very, very much a developing situation. My second question is, um, and it's been something that I've that that appeared to that kind of crossed my mind today. Um, in the in light of I mean obviously what we've had in the past I mean I'd say since since ni- the 1990s since the early 1990s Jack Walker's Blackburn really and the kind of and the, the birth of the Premier League and the Premiership um what you've had is inflated transfer fees year on year on year to the point where now you've had obviously Neymar 200 million pounds um, you've had Mbappe in the 160 million uh, region you've had h- people players with buyout clauses of 400 million euros 500 million euros excessive excessive amounts of money that never ever looked like it would be sustainable could the one benefit of basically not an economic meltdown but a, certainly an economic um regression recession. and 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 the and the fact that a lot of clubs will now just not physically no longer be able to uh, afford transfer fees of 40 50 60 million just at the drop of a hat will that actually be beneficial in terms of bringing down football to a more reasonable level for transfer fees will we now go back to the the period of time where we had 15 million pound 20 million pound strikers because clubs book the both the selling club will need the 20 million pounds and the and, and and the and the buying club will will, will not have more to, to give
0: Um, I mean, yeah, the, the bit the most
2: recent reference point we've got is obviously two thousand seven, two thousand eight financial crisis. Um, obviously, that's all the reference points that are being spoken about whether they be where the is at, where the downs are at, or what have you, as well as also the measures being implemented by the Fed or the Bank of England or you know whoever it may be. <clears throat> and I think if you look at actually two thousand seven, two thousand eight, that was arguably, or you know. In the aftermath of that, when the economy started recovering, that was the start of the massive acceleration in um, the price of players. So I think potentially it's got more of a reflection, as you suggested, with this state of the economy. Because if people, if no one has money, you can't pay 150 million pounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And although there is the precedent that a player like, um, well, like Mbappe, for example, was being tutored as going for 220 million. Euros or, um, or around that price range, if you were to go to Real Madrid. The problem is the, the clubs won't have that sort of money. So, mm. irrespective of the Preston set by Neymar or whoever it may be, if the company, sorry, if, the, if the players, um, the managers, the owners, or what have you, don't have the money, it's irrelevant for the Preston because the economy worldwide dictates the price of players. Because if there's no money, you can't pay the money. Um, particularly with things like financial fair play where the amount of debt you're allowed to accrue over a certain number of years is set and if you break it there are certain ramifications um, whether they be transfer bans or fiscal or what have you
1: Arch sorry oh, no just just want your sounds. opinion mate <laughs>
0: but I think you've, you've cut out a little bit
1: uh, um, just wondering your thoughts Sorry. on on the on the transfer fee question.
0: Sorry, say that, say that again.
1: Just wondering, oh, I'll I have to cut this. Um, do you, Just wondering your thoughts on the transfer fee question.
0: Oh yeah, I think in in a word, yes. I think this um, the the coronavirus epidemic and, and the effects that that's going to have on the global economy. Of course, that's going to transfer to to football. Because um, I, th- I caught a little bit of what Daniel was saying there, and um, mentioning that clubs are going to have to, well, they're only going to be able to, to spend the, the money that, that they've got in in the bank. And obviously, the, we're in the early stages of this epidemic. We don't know the full extent of the of the economic damage, but it seems likely that that businesses as a whole, families, that they're going to have to be far more careful about their their um, their spending um, after the. The um, the COVID nineteen epidemic is is hopefully um, put to put to one side, and um, actually I think that that is is a really useful thing for for football because not only is it going to reduce, as you were saying, the astronomical transfer fees, um, and yeah, get get back to kind of more reasonable levels of spending, but I think it's also going to um, create a, a slightly more level playing field. I, I think in recent years you, if you consider the, the Champions League I mean it's dominated by such a, a small number of elite clubs to the extent that they've even talked about breaking off from, from the competition creating their own ring fence tournament which I think is a really negative thing for for European football as, as a whole so I think hopefully if, if the, the top clubs were to have to exercise more stringent um management of their financial resources as a result of that crisis then that would be a positive because you you don't want a situation where going into any particular champions League season only a handful of teams really have a a good chance of of winning it I think at the exception of Ajax and and their incredible run last year and we saw how much excitement that generated how much interest that generated and I mean I, I don't Know if we'll ever get back to a situation like we had in the, you know, in the, the 80s and the early 90s, where you had the likes of you know Star Bucharest and and challenging uh, uh, um, tra- like, and winning European honors. I don't think we'll, we'll go back to that stage, but I think we will maybe get to a, a stage where it's it's far more open, and I think that would be welcomed, certainly, certainly by um, the the lesser European nations.
1: I tell you what, I, I speaking of Red Star Belgrade, um I watched um the Red Star Belgrade Marseille um Champions League final um earlier today. I From ninety one, was it? Oh, yeah, it was the early nineties, yeah, ninety one I think. Um um the I watched it on YouTube. It was the worst game I've ever seen in terms of the Champions <laughs> League final. I was so
2: I watched I, Liverpool first. <laughs> Yeah, that was bad. Do that.
1: <laughs> don't, don't remind me, please. But it was dreadful, which does make you think, I mean, football has come a long way in terms of, I mean, in ter- well, it's it's the sort of elite footballing players and, and, and sort of tactics and managers have been funneled into the top, top clubs. But you wouldn't, I mean, will this now mean a, a situation where we could envisage in a couple of years' time a Red Star-Belgrade and Marseille final? I mean, if it's a repeat of that ninety-one year, I hope not. But um, but um, but um, but yeah, it will be. It will be really interesting. I have actually thought of one thing. Which Archie, you go for it first. Um, I was listening to someone earlier today to talk about how actually this should be good for managers because it will be the time where they can really hone their tactics. They can spend months at home working out strategic ideas and planning and and come back into whenever we come back to football um with brilliant new ideas on how to play football with that being said i i I tend to disagree in the sense of you might have all the tactics in the world but if you're not if you don't have the players tangibly in front of you because obviously you can't train at the moment it's very hard to implement those tactics, it's very hard to to see if they actually work in real life. I mean, it's all well and good if they work on Football Manager, but hardly good if they um if they if they don't really work with actual human beings. Um,
0: no, of course, I, th- I think there is an, it's an interesting point of view. It sounds very very philosophical, but I, I mean, look if you took a if you took a, a teacher for example, you can give them all of the training in the world in, in a in a like a a university course. But that's no substitute for actually getting into the profession because, as, as you said, you could, you could be working on, on tactical ideas, but you actually have no idea whether you players would respond well to those. You, you have no idea whether new training drills would actually work in, in practice. You also don't have the opportunity to, to learn from, from different match scenarios. As in, I, I don't know, just to use an example, whether... whether um, if you're if you're chasing the game in, in the last minute uh, in the remaining minutes of a, a match whether you should bring on a, an extra striker or th- things like that you you can only gain that experience from actual match situations and i, I think yes there's there's probably there's probably an, an opportunity for for managers to reflect and, and to probably come back to, to training with fresh new ideas and and that's obviously a benefit but i think overall there, there won't be a benefit managers from the situation because they're, they're missing out on the opportunity to work directly with their players and, and that's the, the best thing that they can do.
1: Danny?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would uh, tend to agree with Archie. I think it's all good and well having brilliant ideas and plans. But as with arguably any walk of life, ideas are, are nothing without implementation, without action. And the problem is, as we've seen over the years, with the number of with a number of managers number of tactics number of teams if the players don't buy into what you're trying to get them to do it it doesn't matter Mm. Um, and obviously you can obviously send out um, ideas and plans and tactics online and you can FaceTime players and FaceTime your team and all that sort of jazz but as Archie said there's nothing that actually beats you know being there in real life actually seeing and feeling what it's meant to be like, whether it be a new form of pressing or you're gonna to swap to tick attacker or whatever it may be, because you can't replicate you can have the idea in your mind and visualization I think is potentially a very useful tool, but unless there's that implementation and that, you know, physical action into what you're trying to achieve and the players buy into what you're trying to get them to do, it's oh, arguably fairly pointless, although very nice idea. Um, I think that's where the problem is going to be. If you don't have that one to one contact, um, and you can't have that man management, where some players potentially will understand your idea quicker, some won't, players will buy into your new ideas, others won't, and it's just it's hard to react. I mean, you've got to also build your tactics around the players you have. Yeah. So it's all good and well. You building the tactics. You know, the best tactics in the world for PSG, but if you're if you're the manager of like Barnsley. <laughs> It's not going to help you. You, know, you need to cater to your players and what your players' strengths are. Yeah. If you look at Liverpool, they've got a quick front three. They've got a very very fit team. So their gerg and pressing style of play works very well comparatively. If you look at Arsenal and you said, "Oh yeah, you know, Arteta's like had a brainwave and he's going to go to a four four two with two big men up top," like it doesn't work. Yeah, you know, for sure. So I think that's that's the thing. There's only all these managers are paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a year to be the best at what they do. And they have, they do have the time to reflect whether that be in the summer breaks or what have you. So I think an additional four, five, six months. I think they're all going to want to get away from football. Mm. I honestly think they will not think about... as Well, once the announcement is made, which I think is more a matter of time than anything, that the season is cancelled or at least postponed until, you know for the next three or four months mm-hmm. I like, honestly you'd think that the players will remain fit but treat it as their summer break as they would at the end of any regular season and try and get away from football as will the managers yeah. and then with a month with four weeks to go the players hopefully will have remained fit but then the managers are then going to go back into the tactics because there's a distinct possibility they're going to have the exact same players but they just should, should have no injuries so they can then get the best out of the tactics that you would have hoped they would have been, you know, yeah. preparing for the previous year. Mm. Donnie, I think that's
0: such a good point about managers maybe actually taking this as an opportunity to switch off. Because, well, you've seen, uh, you know, the likes of, of Pep Guardiola taking sabbaticals. I know um, Allegri's—he's on one after he left uh, Juventus.
2: Oh, a
1: lot longer that, one than he thought he would be.
0: Oh, exactly. um, But I, I think the demands of, of the modern game are are such that really it's uh, it's a 24/7 job for, for these managers I think you can you can tell a lot of the time in the press conferences and, and the interviews just how knackered they are they have I think they're, they're obviously just married to the job they have obviously their training throughout the week and the matches but they are constantly thinking about so many aspects of, of the game. Um, so I think for them, actually, Danny's right. It's probably a welcome opportunity to to switch off a little bit, to recharge the batteries, and to come back reinvigorate for for whenever the, there's a return to competitive
1: matches. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. Right, I think that's all about all we have time for. I mean, we've kind of managed to do an hour and or just over an hour of talking about football when there is no football to be talk to be spoken about. So um, uh, we've Very done- just very, very us. Um, there is one thing I want to end on. Um, in light of the fact that Christian Eriksson, upon his move to, into Milan, he had yet to find a house. So he was living in a Milan hotel. Obviously, that Milan hotel is now closed. So he's moved all his stuff to the inter-training ground, where he's sleeping at. He's just sleeping at the training ground. Which, I mean, to be fair, I mean, it's pretty perfect for him in terms of if he wants to keep up his footy. Um, what is Dunny? What's the strangest place that you've slept in? Considering I don't think inter training ground actually have. I mean, I'm sure they have beds and stuff, but they don't have a hotel like Spurs do. What's your What's the strangest place that you've slept in?
2: What's the strangest place I've ever slept?
1: Yeah, overnight. <laughs>
2: yeah, I got that bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the Oh,
0: this should in? be interesting. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no i'm not i have not slept anywhere that that weird Johnny, <laughs> you've been stitched up here mate
1: <laughs> archie no. you're next mate don't worry
0: no
2: i'm trying to think like uh what's the weirdest place i've ever ever slept
1: apart from a freshers room oh. <laughs> oh, no. oh. sorry sorry oh dear
2: oh <laughs> um, that's just i mean that's just distasteful <laughs> Well, come on we're trying to have a civil conversation here uh, I would suggest oh it was probably just a beach um, in California
1: like oh. the strangest in terms of everywhere I've always otherwise slept in a bed that's that's, like, that's a man that making wise decisions to be fair
2: yeah thank you <laughs> it's good for my back I've got back issues yeah <laughs> well from carrying the state
0: team no comment no
1: comment all right actually? What's the strangest place you've slept in? Yeah, They're to mind, actually. Um,
0: I don't have any Californian beaches that I can tell, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I really don't think I've got any, any interesting stories to tell you on that one. There's nothing new
1: there. <laughs> oh, I probably shouldn't have blindsided you with that. What
0: you, about that. Where's the weirdest place you've you, yeah,
1: have you got Have you got a good one? Uh, I don't know if I actually have a, a good one. Um, I mean, I definitely have fallen asleep on couches and I'm... Oh, trying to think um i'm pretty sure i fell asleep on my on an ex-girlfriend's couch once um draw. but on her lounge couch and, and you know she kind of had to she was upstairs waiting for me to go you know and, and kind of had to wake me up to to go upstairs to her which probably said a lot about the relationship that was quite keen to stay downstairs um yes <laughs> um Apart from that I think I think I've actually been been relatively good, which is which is remarkable for me. Um I do like to fall asleep on a couch though. I think that's a that's a that's a big the couch is a comfortable.
2: The right the right sofa I think is a lovely place. I've slept on many a sofa.
1: Yeah, a sofa's a a good one.
2: Not yeah. out of choice buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh brutal.
1: Jettison to the sofa, tough. <laughs> yeah, cheers Arch. <laughs> uh, well guys we should probably sign off. Um, it's been lovely having you on. Uh, looking forward to talking to you next week about the, you know, when UEFA put out another ridiculous statement asking people Absolutely. for more money. Um, thank you for tuning in, everyone, to um, another episode of Pub Talk. Uh, thanks, Archie from Edinburgh. You're very welcome. And cheers, Danny from Old Hertfordshire. Thank
2: you very much for having.
1: Me. Good old is that God's country? Uh
2: hmm. If you want, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as God's country. It's very yeah. No no conviction. <laughs> but it's Edinburgh definitely pleasant, is, man.
1: eh? Scotland
2: is God's country. It is. It yeah, we all
1: know it. And Just Hibs aren't God's team, that's for sure. Um, because it's, if they were, they'd play a lot better. <laughs> no, that's the
2: Pope's 11th. That's the Pope's There you
1: go. All right. All the best. Cheers.